We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast. Uh, Alex Hurst here with you. As normal, it's not often that I have a Manchester United fan sat next to me in the studio here in Seton Delaval. So Steve Armstrong is here from United We Stand and you might recognise um, United We Stand from a couple of weeks ago from our 2-0 win at Old Trafford up to about 70 minutes when uh, <laughs> me and the lads were very kindly um, invited into the um, Hotel Football Suite where Gary Neville gave a, a rousing talk with your Manchester United fan. So Steve, welcome, welcome along, and Cheers for um, having me. why don't you tell us a bit about United We Stand? Yep, United We Stand, it's um, a bit like True Faith, it's one of the sort of old bastions of the fanzine movement that's been going on for, for many years, we're really proud of, obviously we started by Andy Mitten, who's um, a well-known journalist, but fan, the fanzine is still pretty close to his heart and it's still his main love in his professional life, so he's been editor of that since he started it in 1989. Um, so he's uh, still involved with it and we're really proud of the fact that um, A, the fanzine stood the test of time, it's still there, it's still alive in print and it's still going well and we've still got, um, despite the ever-changing game and the sort of the way the crowd demographics changing and a lot of the fanzine crowd um, who were part of the original, because if, if you think about how, you know the birth of fanzines and why they came about, um, and I, I've always, I've, I was pointed up at, I've, I always pointed up at the northeast as to, because I always looked at things like Viz as like a real sort of trailblazer for for things like that type of that type of humour, but also that type of sticking it up to to the establishment um, type of culture. And you know, it was something that particularly in the north um, throughout the sort of late seventies and the eighties, where um, you know we were brought up in working class conditions but at the end of the day we had next to nothing and then you end up with Thatcher who tried to take next to nothing away from here and then some so you know we've always relied really on that kind of you know when you're getting downtrodden in terms of your opinions and no one's listening to you then you, you know you fight back and I think the fanzine cultures particularly if you're bringing it just you know back into football the fanzine fanzine culture was really really important to that um, because of the way the game was panning out at the time um, you look at what football and what was happening to football in that sort of mid eighties onwards period. Um, and it wasn't just the government's treatment of us. It was the whole, anybody who had a position of authority, you know, you know, parliament, government councils, the, the police, everything about it was, was just not nice. And the game became um, an absolute mess. And the way we were treated, herded in like cattle on transport in, in away games and, you know, all of these things, these, warning signs that were, that were running up to you know 
the, the awful events at places like Bradford in 85, what happened in Heisel in 85, and then the ultimate, you know, human tragedy of what happened in Hillsborough. And, you know, us who were going to the games back then, all, we're all, we all knew this sort of stuff was coming. And, you know, fanzines were, were very, very much um, somewhere for fans to have voices and opinions in an era where no one was listening to fans. Um, and they weren't listening to fans because they didn't care. They looked down on us. So, you know, I'm really proud that our fanzine was, was there in the, in the late 80s. It stood the test of time um, and it's still going now. So it's um, what we are now. It'll be 30 years next year. So it's in its 30th season. I think it's absolutely massive credit to Andy. Uh, produces a fantastic magazine. Um, Andy's status in the journalist world is very strong because he's great at his job, but he's also, you know, he's a man of high integrity, very trustworthy, and um, uh, and people people give him content as a result of that. So it's great for him from his professional point of view, but it's also good from a fanzine point of view as well. And you know, the fact that we can get the manager in there, senior players in there, we've had the CEO in there. Um, you know, whether it be Ferguson and Gill or. Woodward and uh, Mourinho, we've had, we've had them all in there, so it's gone it's gone well on that front, and um, we're still 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 plodding the streets, still selling it as I was last night in the uh, in the game against Juventus. So you know, forty eight years of age, and I'm still stuck there selling fanzines. So, but outside of that, um, very very proud of the fact that fanzines still exist. And you know, I said to you the other week about when I heard that True Faith was coming back in print. You know, it's brilliant to hear that. Um, really, really good to hear because too many, too many great fanzines, important fanzines, um, are dropping off the streets. Some of it because of you know, it's not it's not like the short content, but you've got to have people who will be happy to stand there selling the thing. And we're still lucky that um, you know, because of the sort of community we've got at United, we stand. When we we've still got people who happily come and earn a few quid for three or four hours and, and sell a fanzine. And, um, you know, it's, it's good that we can still do that. As I said, we had eight lads out last night. So as long as we've got content, as long as we've got people who um, who will stand there and sell it, and as long as we've got really, really top people involved in helping produce it, um, whether that be Andy from an editorial point of view, the guys that design it and the guys that write for it, then, uh, you know, um, hopefully we can carry on for many, many years to come. But having a printed fanzine is always going to be important to United We Stand. And yeah, we do the other stuff like the podcast and we do a little bit of online, but the fanzine, the printed mag, um, will always be centre point of that. Yeah, I think when I met Andy a couple of years ago when Newcastle played at Cardiff, um, he was very proud of the fact that Jose Mourinho's first press interview, I believe, was with United We Stand. So even though you're obviously a, a critical friend of the club, the club must have some sort of respect for you to give the new manager to United We Stand before any other media organisation. Yeah, you think so. I think I think a lot of that does stem from Andy's um, status within the journalist world. But I also, I think when people see that something's been on those streets for getting on for 30 seasons at United, it doesn't take the brain of Britain to work out that that must have something about it. And it must have. And again, I'm pretty sure that when someone said, you know, Jose or whoever, United We Stand, I'm pretty certain that either he or those who advise him will have done a bit of homework and he'll have gone, yeah, I'll be all right with that. I like that. And um, and whereas you think, you know, they can look at it in other ways. That, um, I'm sure they do it with who they decide to give stories to, who they do in the press. And, you know, it's great, great for us. And again, you know, you've got, you've also got red, you know, you've also got red news at United, which is older than us. I think Barney is in his 32nd season. It was the first United fans. And he's, he's still at it. And, um, you know, he's got a brilliant interview with Gary Neville in the, this this time round, and it's really, really good. And Gary Neville's a very, very engaging person when you listen to him. But you know, he's actually he's always he's just come across really well in that 
magazine as well. So I just think when people of that status give any fanzine um, content like that, I think it's great for the fanzine world, full, full stop. And, you know, we were lucky enough at United, we stand... We keep getting nominated for fanzine of the year, which is fantastic because it means we can go to the FSF Awards in London and, and get absolutely smashed. Um, but um, we were fortunate enough to win it. I think it was in 2012. Um, and it was a great honour um, and, and real testament of a lot of hard work, particularly for Andy, that he, you know, he, the, the mag had had the credit it deserved in terms of some recognition. But I, I remember when I was asked to accept it because Andy wasn't there. He was, he was, he was in the States at the time and, Obviously, I went up to pick it up and I was asked about why fanzines mattered and I just kind of went on this little bit of it. I mean, I'd had, it, I'd had that much to drink because um, I didn't think we were going to win it. But um, so it kind of what I'd planned to say went out the window and ended up becoming this kind of impassioned speech on behalf of all fanzines, which is, you know, we've got to have fanzines on streets outside football stadiums. It's as simple as that because it's a soulless walk to a ground when you don't see that. And hearing fanzine sellers outside grounds is just an important part of the match for me. And you know, football is changing, and it's not, and it's changing in so so many ways. Some of it good, um, and we shouldn't all, you know, I, I kind of do go to task a little bit with the against modern football brigade um, because the, some of them are never not really sure what they're actually against. There's a lot of good changes that have come in in football grounds and and going to the game, but there's also a lot of things that are still wrong. Um, and that they, they absolutely need to change. And fanzines, for me, are the forum that have the best vehicle to, to communicate that. And, and Andy's always been very, very vocal about, I don't agree with everything that goes in that fanzine, but I agree with somebody's right to express that and to have the fanzine as a vehicle to do that. And I think it's sad that they're not present at every football club um, and that they're not around the grounds um, as much as they used to be. And I hope that um, there's an opportunity for more clubs to do like what you guys have just done um, and, and get back out on the streets. I think I think there will be one of the reasons that we decided to bring True Faith back, apart from getting a good print deal, which is obviously essential, um, is is how much people engage with the online content, how much people have engaged with this podcast, which we're really grateful for. And it kind of made us realise that Newcastle, with the mag uh, ceasing to to print uh, Cup 2015 or something like that. It was. I totally agree with everything you say. It was a real shame that there's nothing out there for you know sons, daughters, dads, mums to stick in their back pocket and go to the match. And no one really wants to read the shite in the match day mm. program, do they? So yeah, there, there is definitely definitely a space out there. And I think the, the like you mentioned that you do the the videos and you do the podcasts. I'm sure there are thousands of people engaged with them. But it, the, the fact that it all comes back centrally to a group of what 20 or 30 fans that's all we are we're just fans we're not journalists mm. from Andy um, you know we're just fans talking about the same kind of things that we talk about in pubs the same kind of things that we talk about on podcasts and uh, and fanzines are definitely the best way forwards I think for fan for fans to get the message across yeah I couldn't agree more and I think the they're a good laugh to be part of as well and, and as I said it's you know the thing about fans there's two ways to look at it everybody's up against the the battle against free content and as you well know, there's an expectation now because of the generation of of audience, you know, the mobile phone, the internet generation who who are used to clicking for things and used to not paying for things, um, and we're up against that. But I still think that the the average age of a football fan is still is getting older and older and older. So I still think the audience is there. 
And I still think that people will part with reasonable amounts of money for what they would class as valuably good content. Um, so I think as much as is a lot of free content out there online, most of what I see online is absolutely naff. And I wouldn't even give it the time of day, usually. And and, and again, you, you even see it with some of the some of the more prestigious newspapers, you know, they'll put content after content after content, and then you actually get one good article that you think, wow, and then you get through the first paragraph, and it, it's all shaded out, and it's like, click here to, to, to you know, I've no problem with that. I, you know, at the end of the day, I have no problem with somebody ultimately saying, look, if you want our best content, um, then then you've got to you've got to sign up and get it. I've no problem with that. Um, but I think ultimately what you've got to do is, is, is have the right balance between what do you give away, um, and then what do you expect people to, to part with? And I think we've been fairly smart with what we've given away for free with things like podcasts and, and various other things. Um, but the mag, um, you know, we put a price up this year. It's three quid. Um, you know, we held it at three quid at 250 for about eight seasons. And we just, you know, we just had to put it up. Um, you know, largely because I was sick of not having 50 pences to give out in change. Um, but also, you know, you know, everything else is getting dearer. And, you know, at the end of the day, we've got to, you can't have cost rising, cost rising, because at some point, you know, you've got to, you've got to pass some of that on. But again, I think people don't necessarily, I, I don't look at cost, I look at, have I got value out of it? And I still think for three quid United We Stand is, is, a, is a fantastic purchase, we, you know, and it's great that it's still going well. I see other fanzines up and down the country. Um, I was at Chelsea away on, on Saturday and... CFC UK, great read. Um, it's that's only a quid, and the guy who runs it, Dave, he's he's happy for it only to be a quid. He says I don't want it to be glossy or glamorous. It's literally a, you know, a, a fairly, you know, he won't he won't thank me for saying. Well, actually, he probably will, but he knows he knows what it's like in terms of quality. But the content's top, yeah. content's top, and he's saying I'd rather have it look like that for a pound than charge somebody three and a half four quid for something that's shiny and glossy, but ultimately it says the same stuff. So, um. We've got a good balance with that now, and as I said, um, you know, we'll always have the fanzine um, for as long as we're all involved in it. Still at the at the absolute centre of it, we won't let the online stuff sort of eat away at that. But you know, there's other ways of uh, of keeping those other things alive as well. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's something I'm really proud to be uh, a small part of. I have to say, it's it's a great thing to be involved in. We may as well talk about football a little bit since you're here, and um, you know your your pals who I was at this uh, pre-match meal with um, last Saturday were saying it's terrible, it's awful. Um, you know, they were saying you'll win today, you'll definitely win today, and we were like bollocks, but we should have won. <laughs> um, and I think it's uh, you know I think joking aside, the lads were kind of realistic though that they did realise that you know it's one thing struggling to finish fourth compared to maybe being bottom of the league, but um, is is there that kind of um, you know, is there a growing dissatisfaction? Do you think amongst the support, not just about the manager, but just about the direction of the club at the moment? Hundred percent. The, the the it's the full package. I think the manager's one part of for or of, of of many problems. Um, he just happens to be the easiest to be got at, and he's also box office in terms of how he's seen and perceived in media. So it's always, you know, Jim Jim White can't even open a show on Talk Sport without opening it with a poll about Mourinho in in some way, shape, or form. Um, so he's the easy target of it, but you know, at every level, this it's just wrong. You know, you're looking at absolutely tons of underinvestment by the owners. You know, and we know that they literally put nothing in to get the club. Have taken 
fortunes out um, and we've pretty much still got the same level of debt that we were saddled with in the first place. Um, so we know that despite the fact that United have spent fortunes from a transfer point of view, if you actually physically look at what is coming into the to the, to the club, United should be home in a, absolutely out of sight from, from where they were in terms of what they could have bought. They should literally have been able to buy every single top player that, that's a, that, that we've had in the country in the last decade. But again, you look at that level of underinvestment um, and people say, well, well, you spent, Jose spent £300 million. Well, yeah, he has. And he's not spent great either. But when you need to spend three times that, probably, you've underinvested. You know, if someone needs to spend one pound and spends two, they've overinvested. If someone needs to spend five hundred million, they spend three hundred million. They've underinvested. The amount's almost irrelevant, really, in the scheme of things. Um, so you've got that aspect of it. Um, we've got a CEO who, you know, I'm sure he's a very, very clued up business person, and he seems to be. You know, he was involved in the deal that got the Glazers to the club in the first place. I think he brokered it. Um, I think he was part of that. He's obviously their man. There's no doubt that he has a good commercial sense about him. You only have to look at what the club's value is compared to what it was three, four, five years ago. So there's, you know, you can certainly say that if you look at it in the cold light of financial day, yeah, he's done his bit, but it's when he's now starting to have an influence over football in matters. I mean, this is a guy who didn't think we needed a centre half, but did think we needed a noodle partner. I mean, behave yourself, you know, stick to what you know and stick to what you're good at and let, let people, who run football, run the football operation. Now, again, if I step out of the emotional side of it as a fan and put my work head on a look on it, and I think, well, to be fair, Jose, you've you've you know you've you've actually spent a lot of money on, and and it's there's an there's a strong case to be put forward that not many of those signings have actually panned out to be all right. Um, he bought and sold Mkhitaryan because that bombed out pretty quickly. Pogba's been all right at best with the occasional eight stroke, nine out of 10 gaming there, but more often than not, six and a half hour or seven. Um, Romelu Lukaku just seems to have hit rock bottom and Anders carried on digging. So we're getting, you know, and, and again, Lindelof, Jory's still out. All of, Eric Bay, Jory's very, very much still out. So he's bought a lot of these people to the club. Nemanja Matic last night was appalling. Um, you know, and he seems, he, he just seems to be running on empty. He's brought a lot of these people, you know, he spent, or United spent 56 million quid on Fred from Shakhtar Donetsk. No one's seen him since the Wolves game and that was his best game for United. So, you know, he's very, very culpable in what money he has had. He's not done a great job with it. Um, and he's then kind of getting, getting, as he often does, a little bit bottom-lipped about it. And because of the way Mourinho was when he was on the way up, with various clubs, not many people are going to have too much sympathy with him now that he's kind of on the way down from a career point of view. So I kind of understand the pelters he's getting from outside, but at the same time, he's United's manager and I quite like the fact that our manager's getting pelters because it gives us the siege mentality op opportunity, which we do brilliantly well. Mancunians do that superbly well. Um, and it's also given Mourinho the opportunity to sort of fight back a few times as well. And certainly when you're looking at, you know, um, the level of, He's doing and saying all the things that do appeal to supporters, but at the same time, um, he's got to start converting a lot of that now into physical fact-based performances. And one of the big frustrations on our podcast last night was from the lads was very much, 
you know, this is his, he's, he's been here three years now and none of us are really that sure as to whether we're any further on or, or, or any better off. And I think that's the bit that's really rankling with, with United fans. We just can't see where this is going. Um, and if you can't see where something's going, it's usually because it's going nowhere. Um, and that'd be a massive shame for us because I still think there's a big part of me that still thinks that it'd be better for United if Marino just sorted it out as opposed to left because then we'll be in another scenario of more transition. God knows whatever else, whoever comes in, if it is somebody would want um, to, to, to correct whatever issues there. Another another billion pounds spent on transitioning. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's not a particularly great time at the minute. And you look, you know, we're going into United's goal difference is minus one going into November. I mean, for God's sake, you know, it's, you know, and I know I'm sat here chatting to somebody who's probably thinking you don't, you know, you think you've got problems, but, you know, Manchester United aren't a club that should have a goal difference of minus one going into November. It's as simple as that. You know, this is a club that set out at the start of the season to be competitive for titles and, and cups and it's just not panning out. So, you know, it's uh, there's definitely a lot of dissatisfaction around. There's no doubt about it. More than there's probably been for, probably even more frustratingly. I think people looked at Van Gaal and Moyes and just saw football problems. I think now people are starting to see football and leadership and player attitude um, problems that just don't sit well. And and then you get chucked in there things like you know we got beat by Juventus last night and then Paul Pogba's releasing pictures of himself holding a Juventus bag. You know I mean. That sort of that sort of stuff really gets on our nerves more than more than anything else it does, you know. And, you know, we don't want to see that, but we do want to. You know, at least Mourinho is, you know, recognizing the support and he's putting us at the front of it. And we loved what he did on Saturday at Chelsea. You know, he you know, he's not wore a club blazer for ages. He wore a club blazer with a badge. We he put that on just so he could point at it. You know, I love that. I love that kind of needle. I love the fact that he was that riled. He wanted to go and knock somebody's head off. And we've heard a bit more. You know, off the, in, off the record from what he was like once they'd gone down the tunnel as well, which was which was fabulously entertaining, if true. So, you know, all of that side of stuff, you know, he's kind of got the fans back. And Manchester United fans, more often than not, are unbelievably loyal in the same way that you guys are. But there is, with your club, but there's only so much you can stomach. Oh, aye, there is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we get to win a game, obviously, uh, going into November. Well, it will be. No, uh, just before November. Uh, see, the thing is, I thought I, I genuinely. I'm not just saying this because I'm in because I, I would say if I thought otherwise. But I did. I was. I was genuinely impressed with how Newcastle played for a period of time, and uh, I, I didn't think you deserved what you got. I have to say. Well, I think you know everyone listening this knows our thoughts, but I may as well repeat them. The quality of the benches won out. You know, Mourinho was able to bring on Juan Mata, Alexei Sanchez, and someone mm-hmm. else who came on and played well, and we were able to bring on Christian Atsu, who wasn't good enough to get in the Championship side. Mm. Um, and uh, obviously we're denied a Stonewall penalty because the because Anthony Taylor from Old Trafford allegedly is uh, was looking the other way when the free kick was taken etc etc. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I think Newcastle did very well to stay up this season. Um, it, 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 we were we said on our podcast post match that penalty I presume it was the Ashley Young handball yeah. was it yeah um, which was nailed on there's no doubt about it uh, but at three nil three nils I think it's the most toxic score yeah. that you can get. Because at 2-0, I think people are still rattled and annoyed, but people still think if we can just get one. At 3-0, I think that's the tipping point when people go, right, it's it's done and dusted. Um, and I think when it's sort of 3-0 late, people just get off. But when you're 3-0 down early, 
it gets re- I think it's the most toxic scoreline to have in a stadium where people can really vent because it's too early for people to go home, so they just stay and and, and it had been horrible in that stadium, um, absolutely horrible. Um, so we got we absolutely got away with murder, no doubt about it. Aye, and uh, let's talk about something positive then. And uh, those of you who've who've picked up the latest copy of True Faith, thanks very much for doing that. And um, online subs still available. And if you want it mailed at your door, there'll be a description in the link of this podcast. Um, please do get involved and support the fanzine. Back cover, Steve, was a, a good advert from from a, a relatively new company called called Fans Bet, which is uh, which is your company. Um, why don't you tell the, the listenership a little bit about the idea behind Fansbet yeah. and why it's different to, to your mainstream established other companies? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, I've, you know, I think I revealed my age a little while back, and um, my spare time is dedicated to the fanzine and selling it and all the other things coming with it. But you know, I do have bills to pay, so I do have to have a job. Um, for pretty much getting on for twenty nine years, I've worked for a, a very, very large global retail organisation, um, and was a very senior level within that um, at global level and I kind of got to that point where I'd only ever worked for one business um, and an opportunity um, came my way not so much from a from a, a career point of view but to get involved in something called fans bet and that was came to us large because the concept was born actually in Scandinavia if you go to Scandinavia you're either a Liverpool or a United fan it's just, it's one or the other Um and then your second team is usually somebody from your own country. That's how it tends to work. Over a few it? Scandinavian listeners now cursing this, but yeah, it's all yeah, right. Yeah, Steve yeah. is generally right. <laughs> they, uh, the, the, I have met quite a few actually. I've met quite a few not of from your club over there. I have to say, we, um, we, um, so th- th- so they came to us at United. We stand with this idea because they'd started off two brands called Red Army Bet and Reds Bet. United Red Army Bet, Reds Bet Liverpool, and the concept was a very very simple one, which was that. Um, normal sports book betting um, like you would with any other provider, the usual suspects um, for those that like a bet um, but the different unique selling point for this business was that um, they promised to share 50% of any net profit made off your account um, which sounded really interesting to me and as, as a big pun to myself and I love a bet um, I enjoy having a bet on, on you know, whether on most sports, but particularly horse racing, which is an absolute love of mine. It was an interesting idea. Um, so basically, they came to us at United. We stand asking how they could really, what was needed for them to bring this concept to to the UK. So we just ended up sort of chatting to them and guiding them and working alongside them over a period of time. And it kind of got to a point then where you know the the sort of fans bet concept was. Um, was was touted around um so how do we get fans bet as a as a concept for any club not just united and liverpool fans so so the idea of fans bet is um is a simple one which is as i say it's a online betting platform where you can do your sports betting and any other games that you do that people choose to play casino etc etc but we simply offer a, a platform for people to do their sports betting but with the unique selling point of if you pick and identify a club that you support and then a partner um we make a commitment that any net profit we make off your account um we will share back so the idea there is is an absolutely brilliant one but as as with all brilliant ideas you the the bringing it to life in terms of reality is is the challenge so um you know we've had the uh, I, I was then given the opportunity to, to come on board and and lead the fan facing part of this so you know the the gaming side 
you know, we've got a lot of very, very strong people um, from the industry who, who manage the gaming side of the business. Um, all of the things that are important in terms of compliance and technology and all these things are in place and, and operated within the organization. But I'm here to lead the, the fan facing side of it so our concept is a simple one what we want people to do is very very simply is if you we're very respectful of people who don't bet and we're absolutely not for one minute suggesting people start betting if they don't um, and we're also very very conscious of our obligations towards responsible gambling and making sure that all of the things that need to be there from a compliance point of view but also to offer players that sort of security to be able to help themselves and restrict if necessary um are there as well but ultimately we also need to be in a position where you know if people want to enjoy having a flutter um whether it be on whether it be the person who likes the the, the one the the tenor a year on the grand national or whether it's somebody who does the accumulator every saturday or whether it's you know the people who genuinely do like to play on a regular basis um we think our platform gives everybody the opportunity to do something that is really really unique and that's to say if i win fantastic but if i don't then potentially any revenue that that we're going to make off me is going to come potentially back to something that really really matters to me so i lead the fan partnership side of it and i've now i'm now doing that from a from a full-time point of view um i loved the idea that much that i was i saw it as exciting enough to leave behind a great career with a fantastic company um that i'll always love um but now i'm very very much excited about the potential of what we can achieve here because i think ultimately um having a bet is a fundamental part for many people of, of a sporting event um and again i'm not for one second suggesting that um that that there aren't some issues around gambling at the minute and we know that there are some reputational challenges that the industry's working really hard to to to, to deal with and the regulations that are in place you know there's a lot of really strong regulations out there now that are that are absolutely the right thing to do for the industry but from our point of view we are very very committed to the sharing profit part and giving back and our plan is a very very simple one when people sign up um and open an account with us once they've gone through the sign up procedure and, and obviously proven through the know your customer um thing that we're very very committed to that um people once up and running and have an active account can play and then we have the opportunity for you to say, as I said, I'm a Newcastle United fan and I'd like to nominate True Faith as a beneficiary of, of my account. Um, and once at the end of each quarter, um, everybody you say does that, um, uh, we work out whatever the net profit is of that. And if it's an amount, we'll cut it in half and uh, we'll carry on running our business with, with what's left. And then we're in a position to sort of share back with with our fan partners. So really excited about the opportunity that uh, we've got there. We think it's very, very unique within the industry. I think our biggest selling point on that front is, yes, we are an online betting company, but our strap line about being about fans and by fans and for fans, this isn't just some kind of corporate statement. Um, it actually really is true because everybody within our business is first and foremost a fan of football or a fan of sport. Um, and as I said, you've heard my sort of background from a, from a professional point of view, but you also have heard my football fan background as well. Um, you know, I've been going to the game since 1978. I probably don't, I've probably missed two or three European away games um, since the mid 80s. I tend to get to 99% of home and away games each season by hook or by crook. I'm heavily involved with the fanzine. And, you know, throughout our business, um, we've got people 
um, who certainly are fundamentally part of, of going to the match every day. So we think we've got an exciting opportunity here because, yes, we can run a betting platform, as, as can anybody, but we think that we've got a really good opportunity with our insights into fan world, fan culture, um, and an understanding of what being a football fan is all about, um, or a sports fan, um, because our view is, is if you can support it and have a bet on it, this applies to football, rugby, you know, we've got uh, we've got an ice hockey team in Sweden who are partnered up with us, a fan group for them. Um, you know, we think that this concept um, has, has got lots of opportunity across so, so many different functions. So unbelievably exciting um, opportunity. Um, it's a really unique selling point and I'm really committed to working hard, as is the whole team um, on the fan partner side, um, to bringing that to life. And Because we want to make a difference to so, so many things within the fan um, fan world but also in the communities that matter most to them because you know the sense of community I think is 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 a really really important part of this and that is something I'm really really committed to helping bring alive yeah and, and you know the the discussions we've had it's it's not just Manchester United it's not just Liverpool and now Newcastle United with true faith it's Peterborough United it's it's any like you said the ice hockey team in Sweden mm. it really is like a community thing so mm. it could be any any football club any you know, fan organization or, or activity as you yeah. continue to grow as a, as a company. So it's like across the sport, really, yeah, just at I, the top end. I think when you look at any, the, the, the football fan surveys, whether it's the stuff done by Supporters Direct or Scotland Supporters Direct or FSF, you see some real common trends in the feedback that they get from people who take their surveys. And a lot of them are saying things like, you know, a lot of people are sort of saying, I don't, I can't get, I don't get to the game as often as I can. And you can probably pinpoint change in family circumstances, financials, probably even access to grounds and games nowadays. But there's usually a reason for that. That always comes up. There's a lot of fans who often say that they don't feel that their club nowadays reflects their community as much as it used to do. So those two things always come out. But one thing that is absolutely um, evident when you also look in these surveys is that fans feel that clubs have to be part of their community um, and do more for their local community. And also that clubs should have voices of fans in their corridors of power, um, whether that be physically in the boardroom in terms of ownership or strong representation at fans forums, communication sessions or whatever. So when you look at these sort of channels um, that keep saying the sort of same thing, um, clubs have got to listen to that. But here we are still in the same scenario as we appear to be every year where those things keep just keep coming back. And I think because of that, I think people will always have the connection with the team and the club as a whole because for most people it's something you commit to for the for your whole life and that's it. It's probably the one thing that you do stay one hundred percent as a constant to. Um you know, throughout your whole life. I mean, you know, you have family but people fall out with family, you have relationships but they some they they often break down. But the one relationship that does seem to be the constant from start to finish is is your relationship with your club. So I think as much as people's attitude towards the club is changing. I think still people want the association with that. And what we think we've got the opportunity to be able to do here is, is there's some serious fan causes out there like ownership, um, like there are fan groups out there, really active fan groups who want to get a, get, get a grip of their club. Um, you know, and we've been, I was up at Scotland Supporters Direct Summit quite recently and the supporter movement in Scotland, there's a lot of fan-owned clubs up there and it's fantastic to see what they're doing and what they're achieving. But there are some clubs out there who, who have, have got an absolute battle on their hands with, with who owns their club and, you know, and 
one very very close to home here where we're having this conversation it's very very well documented about what's going on there but you know potentially our our platform could enable a cause such as that um but our platform also allows that the sort of smaller supporter branches um to get involved as well so you know the 20 or 30 people who are going on a coach you might have a flutter on a saturday again Revenue from us potentially could help fund away travel. We've had that with um, Punjabi Wolves group, a group of Punjabi Wolves fans who go home and away. You know, they've uh, they've been the benefactors of us, and that the, they've put that towards away day travel, which has been has been great. And there's a couple of videos of those guys on our blog site, um, which is a, a good look if you want to have a look on there. Um, but then there are bigger causes, I've said, like ownership and some of the guys and trusts and groups that we're we're involved with or having conversations with have, have got that as a as a key strategy but again there's other things some of the more sort of community based things as well and there's a lot of stuff going on now that aren't necessarily club facing causes but they're community facing causes and I think a lot of fans who are saying things like if my club isn't going to do as much for its community as perhaps it should do well we're going to do our own thing and I think when you're looking at you know um, fans supporting food banks is is pretty much you know i know it's big here in newcastle it's absolutely massive as a joint initiative in in liverpool in merseyside with liverpool and Everton's. um the manchester united supporters trust have a, have a food bank drop off on a match day so things like that are becoming are becoming sizable um and then you look at things like sheffield united um they uh, their independent supporters association um, are partnered with ourselves as our Peterborough United and we've shared revenue with Peterborough recently and um, they've got this ticket scheme called Smile Tickets and it's basically whenever they've had spare cash they give spare money um, to buy tickets to take people from underprivileged backgrounds to the match and it's a fantastic story that but they've now been able to buy doesn't sound a lot but they've now been able to buy five season tickets from us or four or five season tickets from us um, and they they were telling us quite recently they've uh, they took some some guys who were homeless to the match a few weeks ago which was you know driving into the city you know taking people away from the streets and taking them to the game they met the club and they went on the pitch and you know being able to enable something like that is it's a really inspiring thing to be part of because the sense of you know ownership of clubs that where people feel that the club's not being run the right way or they feel that the club's being taken away these are serious issues our scheme allows people to be able to potentially put revenue towards that through people nominating that but our scheme also is a broad church it enables us to do some of the really really nice community-based things as well and you know that's the the truly exciting part of it because ultimately we're not just wanting to share revenue as well we want to partner with fan partners um we want to help them with their goals and their objectives and help them bring some of those things to life as well so you know the opportunity to do that is is great and again as i said whether it's something that's of a very very serious nature such as club ownership or whether it's something that's a real heart of the community thing like a food bank initiative or smile ticket schemes or whether it's physical logistical match day stuff like maybe subsidizing ticket costs maybe it is subsidizing coach travel whatever we've got so so much opportunity to do to do a lot of good things there and the thing that i'm really quite passionate about as well there is we're not just sharing revenue we're, we're hoping to basically empower fans groups to be able to have a revenue stream through something that a lot of their members would do anyway um to have a revenue stream that they can then make decisions as to what to do with it so they're also getting the empowerment to do that and feel like they're making the difference to whether it be club ownership to these community-based projects 
auto-functional match day experiences as well because all of those things you know they've all got massive importance um to to, to all of us um so being able to help enable some of those things is very very exciting sounds it and it's uh it's a actually kind of real breath of fresh air to an industry which has been the same big players for for a long time and everyone listening will know that you can't switch on the TV these days without gambling companies shouting things back at you and, and all this kind of stuff. Well, this sounds to me like something totally different, something a lot more ethical, a lot more grounded, like you say, in communities and in just football in general. Like this kind of this sounds like something for football and for football fans compared to just making money for some big company, which you know, good luck to them. But um, yeah, I'm definitely excited by it. I'm definitely going to be a fans fans bet customer, and um, you know, the true faith will will, will always back something like this because as you say you know we we had the the fans food bank last week which you people listening raised a thousand pound for by yourselves just by Fantastic. just by paying money to ask people to donate a kind of honesty box we raised two thousand pound on the night fans bet just sounds like the perfect thing to come in partner with that and even improve it across the country you know you talked about liverpool there manchester and i'm sure it's starting to happen it happens a lot in scotland as well um so if you do want to have a gamble like i do and if you do want to put Newcastle 4-1 Paul Dummett on Saturday and lose your £10 in advance because it's never going to happen. Um, I'd much rather that £5 of that money was going back into something like the Food Bank supporting this podcast, the supporters trust you've talked about. Um, so yeah, I'm all for it, Steve. I'm, it sounds like a great idea. No, and again, it's, it's really nice to sort of hear that. But uh, as I said, it's a business that's what something like a year old. Um, we've, we've made terrific progress. Um, we've got a lot to learn. We've got a lot of progress to make but we're very very confident in our internal ability to do that both from a industry point of view but also we can absolutely think and act and understand what's important to football fans because we absolutely are football fans and uh, too many people chuck that sort of thing away um almost as a bit of a front um it's absolutely not you know the case with and you know everybody saw you know your 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 current owner doing his standing in the stands with a pint and his Newcastle top on, you know, people see straight through gimmicks like that um, because deep down they know that it's just a front for what's going on. But, you know, we're absolutely dedicated and committed to fan causes, whether it be, you know, and there's a couple of other things with this as well. It's not just the the sort of football thing. Um, Horse racing welfare in the UK, which is a fantastic organisation that helps people within the racing industry. Again, there are people out there who don't necessarily follow a team um, they follow a sport um, and we think we've got big opportunities within there. So if somebody likes a horse racing bet, again, you've got the opportunity to nominate Racing Well for Irish injured jockeys. You know, there's, there's a number of other great, great causes out there. And, you know, in the, in the space of year, I think we're up to, um, we've got something like at the time of today, I think we're about 107, 108 um, fan partners with us, which is, which is great. And it's great to have that many people at such an early stage, um, putting their trust in us and their faith in us to, to, to do what we say we're going to do. And, you know, as I said, our job is to now um, make sure that we work really, really hard at creating um, an organisation that's profitable, that gives us that opportunity as, as we're now starting to do with the giving back stories. And as I said, I think we've given back to something about 24, 25 of those fan partners 
um in the in the last sort of three or four months so the the dream um that we all had is now starting to become a reality and that's that's hugely exciting um because ultimately having the dream that you you want to do something is ultimately you know you're in the hands of other people and 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 as well as yourselves in terms of whether you realize that you know we're really really proud that in a short space of time you know we've got supporter branches fanzines um trusts that we've been able to sort of share some revenue back with because of their loyalty to us and as i said our, our about fans for fans um you know um logo is rings true as does our loyalty wins logo as well because ultimately we recognize that your loyalty to your football club is something that should always always be rewarded and I think there's an argument to say that a lot of us as fans feel that sometimes that doesn't often materialize does it so you know we're looking forward to the future um, we'll work really hard um, to make all of these dreams of our own internally come to life but being part of helping a lot of these fans groups whether it be big trusts um, fanzines online media and podcasts supporters groups and local branches fulfill their goals and objectives and dreams as well it's it's hugely exciting so hopefully we'll be able to bring all of those to life and then some spot on steve and um thanks for thanks for coming to talk to us and the true faith listeners you know the the thousands of you who listen every week who are very grateful for you to do so uh, couldn't recommend this more from a personal perspective and, and we'll probably be talking about it and mentioning it on future podcasts or we definitely will be Steve, I can't let you go without asking you for some predictions. Can you give me the finishing positions of both Manchester United and Newcastle United this oh season? Oh dear. Um, I think United are at best the sixth best team in the league. So at best, I think sixth for United. Um, I think the problem we've already got is we, we, we've not really played what you class as anyone massive yet um well we have now we've obviously got the chelsea game out of the way but uh, prior to that tottenham at home was was the was probably the biggest game and i would still have expected to have won that or at worst got a draw when you start getting beat by brighton and west ham you're not leaving yourself a lot of wriggle room there um for when you go up against liverpool who were better than united city who were better than everybody um, and then even Arsenal, who's, you know, Arsenal won 10 on the spin or something daft like that. So, you know, there's teams out there that are just light years ahead of United. Um, and that's just the reality of it, I'm afraid. So I think United are staring at a 10 game losing season this season. And that more often than not, if you finish six with that, you've got away with it a little bit. So I think, um, I think we'll probably finish six at best, um, which I think means Europa League, which would do me right because I love the Europa League. Europa League is a great tournament. You, you get to go to some mad places. Um, you also get an extra European away trip that you don't get in the Champions League in early February. And the thing I really enjoyed as a horse racing lover is, is the, just the guarantee of playing Sunday. Um, so I got to watch all the top racing for the first time ever during the Europa League. Um, so yeah, you've got that sort of... I found it really easy to plan my life knowing that it was going to be Thursday, Sunday for the rest of the season. I quite like that. So um, as perverted as it might sound, I would more than happily get dumped out of the Champions League in third place this season, go straight into the Europa League and then finish sixth. So that'd do me. As for yourselves, um, I know the too good to go down or too big to go down thing gets, gets, gets always banded around. But as you well know, you know, because it seems to happen to you pretty much every other season um you know you do go down i have always had high regard for, for for newcastle as a place uh i find it just astounding 
that a club that can put 52,000 people through the turnstiles um, and it being this really passionate city from a footballing point of view, I, I just find it astounding. It keeps finding itself where it is. I think it's even more astounding when you look at the fact that you've got one of the game's truly great managers um, who clearly loves Newcastle. Um, and he'd proven that by sticking with you um, to bring you back up. Um, I still think that because of him, I can't, even though everything's pointing towards that you're going down in style, I just can't see Rafa Benitez not being able to sort that out. And I saw enough in 50 to 60 minutes at Old Trafford to see that there is some good football in that Newcastle team. Um so I'm going to say, if you ask me now, um, and I think, is it something like a couple of draws and eight defeats or something? Yeah, I mean, it's not looking great, is it? Um, I do think that you look at the bottom four or five do seem to be getting cut adrift pretty quickly. Um, so I think you're just now in this, how do we get X number of points? But I do think that manager and some of those players are good enough to get to sort of 36, 37 points, which should probably keep somebody up. Um, so I think you'll stay up by the skin of your teeth. But again, I used the term before about wriggle room. You know, we've not left ourselves any. And I think you're getting to that point now where you're not leaving yourselves any any either. Um, I think it's one of them though where... It, the one thing that I think Newcastle have over any of the other teams that are down there is, is you've still got the opportunity to make this an evil place to come and play football as an away team and as an away fan. You've still got that opportunity to do that. And I think if the crowd really, really get behind, that should probably just about drag you out of it. Um, so I'm going to say that now, but if you kind of, if we get to this point where, you know, you go another month or another five or six games where that situation doesn't appear to have shown any sign of it turning, you know, it's going to be difficult for you. That So good luck. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Steve. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks for having us. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.